Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on a Sunday in the News Bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, beginning in verse 24 to the end of verse 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to thee, Lord Christ. Well, friends, welcome back to the Christchurch Oceanside podcast. We are continuing our studies of the Gospel of Matthew. We are now moving on to this final section of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7 here on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about building our house on the rock. Now, here's the question I want to start with today. If you could build a house anywhere, where would it be? Any location in the world, anything you wanted, What would be the place that you would choose to build your house? Now, for me, though I want to live in the area that we live in here on Vancouver Island, I think my choice would be somewhere in Tofino, right on the coast, rainforest all around me, mist socking in every day, crashing winds, and the sound of that rain and the storms blowing. That would be my jam if I could choose anywhere. Now, I had friends come and visit us actually on their honeymoon um, a couple years ago, and they went to Tofino because they knew how much Jackie and I loved it. And so we drove up there to see them one day and met them on the beach, and we were like, so what do you think? You loving it? And the response that we got was kind of hilarious, actually, because the groom, a friend of ours, was like, No, no, I'm not enjoying this (laughs) because it just was not his jam. He's like, look, if I can go anywhere in the world, I want sun and I want heat. And he goes on to describe the things that he wants. Location matters. Like where you live matters. And it's worth considering before you commit to moving to live somewhere. And so if you don't like rain and you don't like mist, and you don't like the cold of the ocean, then maybe the island isn't for you. And I think people don't 
consider that enough. They just hear someone else loves it, and so they want to be there. I want to start today kind of reflecting on this fact, because here's the thing about founding your life, your home, on Jesus the Rock, is the truth is, knowing and being with Jesus himself, who is perfect goodness, is really the highest possible end for our lives. And being with him is the definition of joy for us. He is our enjoyment. This is why Jesus taught that knowing him results in eternal life with him. And so Jesus is saying that a byproduct of knowing him, of building your life around him, is stability. But Jesus is the one that you're with. Jesus is the one that all of this is focused on. So if you find in your heart where you're just like, I love the idea of stability. I want in on that. What I don't want is to order my life around Jesus. What I don't want is to spend time learning how to be with Jesus or growing in my understanding of Jesus or letting Jesus shift and change and morph my life functionally and internally and in all ways, then here's a hard truth that I think we need to say is, this isn't for you. Like the whole point of Christianity is, the whole Old Testament is all about the promise of Jesus coming, The New Testament is about the specifics of Jesus coming and what he accomplishes. And the life now that we live is about looking forward to Jesus' future coming and eternity with Jesus. When we read the book of Revelation, it's like Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the city. Jesus is, we don't need the sun because we've got Jesus Heaven on earth is all centered on Jesus. And so if you now find yourself going, okay, just tell me how to develop stability in my life, but go easy on the Jesus stuff, i got to tell you, this is not it for you. Because this is all about loving and enjoying Jesus, and stability is a byproduct of that. So stability in all the areas of our life that we want most is because Jesus reforms those areas. Now, the alternative that Jesus shows us is that building a life on self as the source and as the strength will lead to a life that is completely unstable. Why? Because you aren't strong enough and stable enough in and of yourself. And If you aren't stable and you aren't strong enough to make other areas stable, then you're going to have instability. And the fact that we are all constantly looking outside ourselves for comfort and for strength and for encouragement and for wisdom and for resourcing and for love, and I can go on and on and on and on, is a sign of that fact that we are not enough in and of ourselves. And so we cannot create stability around us. We need something bigger than us, stronger than us, more stable than us, consistent. 
Now, many Christians seek to build stable lives and homes, according to some, if, if not all, of what Jesus teaches here in the Sermon on the Mount. So I think the question then that we kind of have to wrestle with is, why do so many of us find ourselves living with such instability when we agree theoretically with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and aspire to it? Why do we end up feeling so unstable? Now, what we see in this particular text of Scripture is that Jesus points out that the primary cause of instability is internal, meaning the foundation that the house has been built upon, the house of your life, the house of your family, the house of your finances, etc., is there's an internal problem that creates the instability. The second aspect that Jesus points to that creates instability is external threats. And he uses the language of the storm, which we're not going to actually unpack all that today. What I want to do is look a bit more at the internal. And then in the following weeks, we'll talk a bit more about the external. So today, what I want to do is I, I, this is not an exhaustive list here, but I want to give a list of the things that I see as the most common mistakes in founding a life and a family and a home. And and just to talk about those a little bit, um, it'll be a bit of a shorter day. Whenever I say that, it ends up being longer. But but what we want to do is just kind of just consider what what are the common mistakes that people make um, when it comes to trying to found their life and their home, even on Jesus. It's not just a non-Jesus followers problem. It's actually Jesus follower problems too. And so I want to look at a few of those. So the first one is this, is underdeveloped plans. I think this is the first common mistake. Underdeveloped plans. What do I mean by this? I think for a lot of people, the plan that they have for their life, for their family, for their home, is kind of like pulling out a picture out of a magazine. And it's like saying, see this beautiful house? This is the house that I'm going to build. And they don't actually have in-depth blueprints of what their life, what their home is meant to look like and is meant to function as and is meant to be. And so it's just this kind of like, I'm just winging it. I've got this idea in my head of what I want this to be, and now I'm going to build that. And the problem that tends to come up is that that's this internal expectation of what their life, what their spouse or their friends or their community that they're part of or the neighborhood or whatever. They have these internal expectations that they think their life and home should be. But these expectations aren't rightly communicated to the people in their lives. And the the people, especially like spouses and friends and things like that, have not agreed to these expectations. Like even if you think like, this is what I dream or what I think good conflict should look like, but then the people in your life, you're just always perpetually disappointed with them. And don't actually have the conversation to go, how do we want to do conflict together? How can we agree on a vision and a plan for this? 
you know, people tend to just expect I'm going to go on with my life and I'm going to be rich. But And so they, they're holding this expectation within them, but it's not one that they're actually able to reach and to, to accomplish. So not only are the people around them not necessarily in agreement with these expectations, but even more importantly, neither is Jesus. That there are expectations that don't actually fit with the Sermon on the Mount, or there are expectations that don't fit with God's plan for your life. Now, the other part of the kind of underdeveloped plan part is this idea of the next point being an unlicensed builder. I think this is kind of the danger of the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus, is that people can expect that when they read the Sermon on the Mount, they go, yeah, that's the life I want to have. And then they endeavor to be the one who accomplishes it. So Christians misunderstand that Jesus's new law that he presents here in the Sermon on the Mount is actually his manifesto of what he's going to make possible in the life of the Christian. He's the one that fulfills that law, and only he is capable of accomplishing that vision. So the role of the homeowner, so to speak, of you and I, is to put our trust into Jesus, the home builder, for every step of the way. Now, Jackie and I, in our, our counseling ministry, both pastorally and professionally, have had the sad task of counseling people who come to us with a life or a home or a marriage or a family that has fallen in on them. But there's this compounded grief where they feel guilty that they were not able to live up to the expectation of, say, the Sermon on the Mount. The reason this is a problem is because the failure failure was not that they couldn't build the house. The failure was that they didn't know Jesus or know how to trust in Jesus to do that. They saw Jesus more like a building inspector than the builder himself. That they thought Jesus was going to come around every once in a while, look at the state of the build and be like, you know, pass or fail, good job or bad job. Jesus was really uninvolved in the process of cultivating and building the home. And so when Jesus comes around, there's this fear, this sense of like, he is going to hate what we've done here, when really why Jesus is coming around is to go, let's remake this. Let's reform this. Let's build something beautiful together. So there's a misunderstanding of the relationship that Jesus has with building the home. I think another way to think of it is this, is that there's times for DIY stuff, do it yourself. But your salvation is not one of those times. And salvation is exactly the thing that your identity, your career, your marriage, your emotional and mental life, your friendships, your parenting, and your finances need. Even things like going through conflict with people in your world. The vision here of Jesus is that the gospel of his good works would save 
that situation. So the conflict is about going, how do we use the tools of salvation to fix this problem? The financial issues that you have and instabilities, the question is, how does the work of Jesus apply to this problem? So every single area is a salvation issue. Every area needs the miraculous intervention of God through Christ in your life. So there is no part of our life that we say, how about I just take care of this part? It's all Jesus for all of it. So the first is underdeveloped plans that aren't according to God's plan, that aren't according to the work and vision of Jesus, but instead are just these subconscious theoretical ideas of what we want our life to look like. The second is this unlicensed builder in the fact that we go, I don't need a builder. I can do it myself. And then we find ourselves down the road going, wow, I've made a mess. The first storm that comes in, the realization that this is not holding up to my surroundings. The third one is this, unsurveyed land. So imagine buying a lot and then beginning to excavate it to build your new home, and the excavator finally comes in and breaks ground, only to discover that there is something underneath stopping them from digging out the footing. Hidden just underneath the surface of this lot that you have purchased is another house. Or think of it another way. Maybe you buy, purchase a piece of land and you bring a new contractor in and you start pointing around and you're saying, okay, here's where I want the house and this is where I want the garage and this is what I want it to look like. And the contractor's looking at you just dumbfounded and he's going, but there's a house already here. And before we can build your house, we need to remove this house. And you say, nah, let's just pretend it's not there and we'll build on top of it and around it. This is what we do when we seek to build our lives without dealing with deeply considering our family of origin. That underneath the surface of the new life that you're trying to build is a pre-existing build that you've inherited. Even if you're single, there are houses underneath the house you're trying to build. And it's the house your parents built. And beneath their house are two other houses of your grandparents. And the reality of our lives is that every home is inherited. Nobody starts from scratch or has a blank slate, regardless of whether or not you think you're formed by nature or nurture. Both of those things are written into your story before you even start the build. And when you get married, I mean, this just multiplies it. You're seeking to bring two inherited homes together to make one. It's not like you go, okay, We're all going to move into the husband's house, doing it the husband's ways, etc. There's a coming together of the husband and the wife. Two full lives are integrating into one new one. And those lives have a backstory. That they inherited those houses 
from their parents. And so their parents' story is coming with them. What does that make the total of this? How many houses lie beneath your home? Like 16? And here's the piece that we don't have time to talk about today, but we'll talk about it, I think, in the weeks to come. Is what we don't repair, we will repeat. So this house that we've inherited of our parents, their way of doing things, their ways of coping with stress and handling conflict and treating finances, all of those things Jesus is saying, there's a mix of good and bad in there. But all of it is up for discussion and redemption if you're going to build a life on me. That means just because your parents did it doesn't mean that you're going to continue doing it because maybe it doesn't fit what Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. Or maybe your parents did something that you hated and you tried to swear off, but it's coming back around. Jesus is saying, I can redeem you from that. I can save you from that pattern. But the idea that you can just build a brand new home without renovating the one that you've inherited is a recipe for disaster. You can't just put one house on top of another one and pretend it's not there. So these are just a few. I think the next one really starts to get into this external element, which is that it's an unconsidered environment, kind of like what I talked about with the, with Tofino. It's niche. You know, it's, it's a very specific place with very specific weather and very specific temperature and climate and things like that. The context of your life matters. And each context comes with benefits and liabilities. And so what I find is that a lot of people are going, no, I'm just trying to build my house in my bubble. But, and there, there's a fleeing from the culture, the world around them that goes, this is all just too scary. And so I'm just going to build my house like a bubble. But you can't escape your climate because the climate is is all around you. And you can't ex- escape your context because it's in the soil. Anything you try and grow, anything you try to cultivate within your property lines is, is still going to be impacted by the context that you live in. The other side of the coin is somebody that says, I'm just going to pretend my whole environment is positive. So I'm going to I'm going to build my home synergistically with the world around me. I'm not going to challenge anything. I'm not going to consider everything. I want my life to be approved by the world around me. And so what you end up doing is just taking the liabilities or the sin or the brokenness of the world around you right into your home without question. But in both those cases, Jesus is actually coming in saying, I've brought you to this place, which is a both benefit and some liabilities, but I'm sufficient to sift through it all. That you don't have to live in fear of the environment that you're in, but you also don't need to live in a kind of placating union with it. You're different. You're made for more. Your true environment that you're made for is the world to come 
of heaven on earth. These are just some of the common mistakes that I see people make in their homes. But really what it comes down to is this lack of intentionality of investment to go, no, this matters to me, and I want to do this right. And nobody would go into saying, I'm just going to build a house on a whim, and I'm going to do all the work as I see fit when I've got time. Because here's the thing, when you build a house like that, the storms that inevitably come up they exploit, they reveal these shortcomings of that build. They reveal where it's not weatherproof. They reveal where the rain gets in. They reveal where the um, foundation is on shifting sand and is not stable. And you find when you've done that, those who live within that house, that life, will go, I'm cold, I'm getting wet, I'm getting hurt. And then you're just building um, responsively instead of intentionally. So now you're no longer building a home, you're just building a shelter. You're just trying to survive another day. You're just trying to say, what can we put up today that will try to help us get through this storm? But it's not even something you would want long-term. That's complicated. And what does that do? It just adds to the instability because things are always changing. The house gets rebuilt every time a new storm comes in. When Jesus is offering himself as the rock, he's offering a very specific alternative. He's saying, first of all, instead of a underdeveloped plan that's just kind of subconscious, receive the Father's plan for your life and for your home. Think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, and the nation of Israel. The consistent promise of God is, I will give you a home. It's a central theme of the whole Bible. This is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, because the Father's plan for your life and for your home is actually quite simple. It's that your life and your home and your relationships would follow the plan of Jesus, would look like Jesus. So Jesus is then the model, and Jesus is the builder. So instead of an unlicensed build, we have Jesus the builder. Because Jesus has the most knowledge about the Father's plan for you. In his humanity, he knows your story perfectly. In his divinity, he knows the Father's heart perfectly. Jesus is the coming together of that plan the Father has in mind for you. Jesus is the one to do the work necessary for that house. And the Spirit of Jesus is working within you. So all of the crew needed to make this build is all in Jesus and all available by His Spirit. And He's looking to enlist you to be a part of that. But, but you're walking with Him. You're the grunt, so to speak, that's going, I'm watching a master builder at work here, and I'm just along for the ride. Yeah, you're the homeowner, 
But you know, when you bring in a professional, you go, you know, not me. I trust your recommendations, not mine. And you're just happy to see it come to fruition because Jesus is the skill. Jesus is the resources. Jesus is the materials. And Jesus is the tools needed. Because trying to build a house with all the wrong tools is exhausting. Have you ever tried to do something yourself and then somebody comes in and goes, no, no, what you need is this tool. And when you have the right tool, it just gets the job done. It's like, wow, that was so much faster. It's like screwing drywall in by hand versus having the proper drywall screw gun. Very different. Jesus is coming in as the pro saying, not only do I have the skill, but I actually am the materials that we're going to build with. And I have all the proper tools that you need for this job. And this is, I, I have a hard time with this sometimes with, with men especially, who they can take on any project and they know the value of skills and the right tools and the right ways of doing it. But somehow Jesus is just something we wing. If I just know Jesus generally, my house is somehow generally on Jesus. Instead of honing the skill of what it means to follow Jesus. Instead of knowing the materials that Jesus is trying to use to build their homes. And instead of learning the right tools that empower them to build something beautiful. The next thing that Jesus offers as an alternative is that Jesus knows the whole story of that land. He knows the environment. He knows everything that is necessary about this build. There are absolutely no surprises to Jesus about your family of origin or about you or about your dreams and your desires for the future. Jesus knows all the enduring impact of the environment around you. When you think of the family of origin stuff, Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The reason Matthew starts his gospel here is with detailing Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Abraham is to show that the promise of salvation is hidden within every single generation and is available to them. The same is true of your story. All the family of origin, coping skills and trauma and hardship and pain that has collected through the years and helped form, set you up for the life that you now live, all of it is within the scope of Jesus' work of salvation. And all of you, that you, the choices that you've made in response to your family and the changes you've tried to make and the effort you've tried to put in and the hardships and trauma that you went into as an adult, all of those Jesus is capable. Jesus is enough to save, redeem, and reform. And the environment around you, with both its benefits and its liabilities, Jesus knows it perfectly to help tailor your engagement with that world of going, bring this in, but push this out. To not live in fear of the world around you or in some kind of like submission to it, but instead to live for Jesus, which makes all good things his. And all evil, triumphable.
what we'll see next is that Jesus is then the Lord over the storms. And we'll look more at this in the weeks to come. Because when those storms come, they reveal where some work needs to be done. It's a benefit in Jesus instead of a threat. But all this kind of brings to this point to go, well, for real, do you want to build your house on Jesus or do you want to just keep winging it? And if you want to build your house, your life, your future, the generations to come on Jesus, then it's time to give Jesus full control. Jesus writes the plan. Jesus is the model. Jesus is the builder. Jesus is Lord over your history and your family story. And Jesus is the one that is helping you relate to the world. And Jesus is Lord over every storm. And all of that begins with the homeowner saying, I'm in with Jesus. I sow my trust into Jesus. Give me a contract. Let me sign on the dotted line because this is the builder I need. I'm tired of winging it. I'm tired of trying some, trying to find someone else, some other source of wisdom to be enough for me. I'm singular in my commitment to Jesus. For those who make that investment, that commitment, Jesus says he'll never fail. Jesus says he'll never leave you. Jesus says he'll never walk off the job. Jesus sees it through. And some of you, some of you think you missed your chance. That somehow you tried to build your life and now it's over and you don't have another shot at it. That somehow just because your kids moved out or became adults or walked away from the faith that you don't get to dream for this anymore. That is a lie. If you're here, your life is not over. Your home is ready for a build. Is this how we treat the rest of our life where we retire and then we go, I'm stuck with the house I made? No, we renovate it. We cultivate it. We we see dreams come true. And I think we need to sow vision into older homes and families again to say this is not over. If you need to do a full rebuild, Jesus is in. If you need to do some renovations to go, you know what? We never fixed this area of our life. Jesus is in. And if you're just starting out, it's time to go all in yourself. It's time to go, look, I'm done looking for wisdom in other places. I'm not looking for parenting tips on Instagram. I'm looking to know Jesus deeply. I'm not looking to fix my marriage through 10 tips to better sex. I'm giving my heart to Jesus. Jesus is everything for everything. This, my friends, is the way of Jesus for founding your home and your life on the rock.